Uh, we're getting rolling. It's the season of Advent, the first Sunday of Advent. We got to come out of the gate strong because Advent is a whirlwind season and Christmas time will just grab you by the scruff of the neck and whip you through it. And at the end of the thing, you come out saying, what just happened to me? All of a sudden it's 2019 and I have no idea what happened in December. There's full of Christmas activities and things that go on that it can just fill up our lives to the point where our schedules become so consumed and everything's happening and we leave that season kind of feeling frustrated because it didn't feel like what it felt like when we were kids. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Christmas was a wonderful time. I was asking Ashley last night as we were uh, getting ready for bed, I said, do you remember when school would end and you'd be on Christmas break and it felt like it was like three months from the time school would end until Christmas Day came. It felt just forever. Now it just comes and goes so fast. It's like a week, but as a kid, it felt so, so long for me. Anyways, we need to slow down. We need to remind ourselves as believers, this isn't a season that should like reign over us in that way. We need to let Christ come and gently speak into our lives and move through this season with a sense of expectation. That's what Advent is. That's what the word means. It's a word for waiting expectantly for what God is going to do for us, that God is going to provide something wonderful for us. It's a season of expectation. And again, like it's children, it's kids that we look at and we see this reflection of Advent. Some parents put out Christmas presents on Christmas Eve after the kids went to bed because you were a Santa Claus household. Who here grew up in a Santa Claus household? Presents would only come out on Christmas Eve. I grew up in a family where it was kind of a wink, wink, nod, nod, Santa Claus, you know, sort of thing. There would be one present from Santa Claus. It was usually a board game for the family to play. But all the other presents got put out just like over the course of the month and the tree would fill up with presents from mom and dad. We'd get presents for one another as brothers and they'd all just sort of be there slowly over time. Who lived in that kind of household? We are the minority. Look at us, like three of us. That's incredible. Everybody else had a Santa Claus. That's amazing. Well, for, for me, it was that way. And if you were in this kind of family where presents would get laid out under the tree, you had a big temptation in your life because you had to wait expectantly, wondering what in the world could be in that box. What is in that box? Now, again, it looks like there were only three of us here uh, who experienced this in our lives. But if you were a good child like me, you didn't ever peek. And I tell you, it was hard. But I, John, believe it or not, I didn't ever peek in my Christmas presents. I wanted to. And I thought about it many times, but I did never do it. Did anybody ever peek? Confession time. Okay, Gary <laughs> did once. You did once, so you're okay. Well, okay, you peeked. All right, if you were the Santa Claus type family, who ever figured out the secret hiding place where the presents were? Okay, so you guys peeked too. You just got to find a way to admit it, right? You peeked too. Uh, there's this anticipation as a child waiting to see what is inside that gift. And that is the thing 
that we are encouraged to express now in our adult thinking when it comes to Jesus Christ. This expectation in our life of what is this gift that God has given to us? And this year, in this season of Advent, we are going to go back to the basics. We are going to keep it simple. We are going to be talking about a simple Christmas. There's this huge pull to overdo Christmas, to overextend ourselves, our calendar, our families, our finances, and we overlook in that what matters most. I bet each one of us, if we were to reflect on our favorite Christmas memories, our favorite Christmas memories aren't found in the lavish parties or the huge presents. Your favorite Christmas memories are probably found in those simple primal things, the hunt for the decorations and setting up the tree in your home, the snuggling on a couch and watching a Charlie Brown Christmas, the getting in your car to go look at the Clark Griswold families who have their Christmas homes just lit up with lights, acts of service to people in need during this season. Those are those moments that seem to stick with us. They are the simple moments, and we're going to be looking at a simple Christmas. Now, I don't know if this is a phrase everybody uses. My dad had lots of different phrases in his life that he would use when he talked about different things. Sometimes he would do just mix up real phrases, like if you let the cat out of the bag, he'd forget that it was a cat, and he'd say you let the dog out of the bag, or something like that. But he had one that stuck with me. It was this. It was an acronym, K-I-S-S. K-I-S-S. And it stood for this. Keep it simple, stupid. Anybody ever heard this before? Okay. Keep it simple, stupid. And that's what I want us to remind ourselves. I give you permission now. Look to the person seated to your right or to your left. And would you look at them and would you say, keep it simple, stupid. Go ahead. That's our goal. That's our goal in this Christmas season is for us to keep it simple. Your ability to get the most out of Christmas is not about how much you do or how much you spend, but rather it's appreciating the simple things that can be found in this season. It's the season of expectation, looking at all the simple things that God gives us through Jesus Christ, and they're the basics. Hope, love, joy, peace. And today we're going to look at hope. We have this Advent wreath uh, up here, and sometimes in the church, I'm sure you've done like Advent readings where somebody would come read a portion of the Christmas story and share but all these four candles stand for something. They're here as visual aids to remind us of something. And the first candle of Advent is the candle that symbolizes hope. So what we do is we light the candles and we watch each Sunday as they like go down at different levels. For some reason, the third Sunday, the joy candle is pink. I can't fully explain to you why that is. It's a little unclear. There's lots of different reasons why it might be. We're just going to go with it. It's a pink candle the third one, but we'll watch as these go. So today's this, uh, the candle of hope, and today that is the simple thought of Christmas that we are going to look at. What do you hope for? Everybody hopes. Everyone is hoping for something. Again, if we point to children, they seem to be the best example to us here in Christmas time. Who remembers that toy catalog? That you'd get. Oh my word. I love that thing. And you know, this was the day before you had your phone with you in the bathroom and you'd take the toy catalog in with you, you know, and you'd sit in there for hours <laughs> looking through the toy catalog. And for me, I would always end up on this page. 
this was my jam. This was what I wanted. Who knows what this is besides me? Uh, yeah, <laughs> certain generations will know. A Super Nintendo. I wanted one so bad for Christmas. I never got it. But boy, did I want one for Christmas. And we, I would hope and say, oh my goodness, I hope that this year, this is the thing. You know, you'd circle it, you'd dream for it, but I never got it. Well, beyond Christmas, we have bigger hopes in life. As we mature from childhood into adulthood, our hopes begin to change. Everyone hopes for something. Every person seated to your left or to your right or in front of you or behind you is hoping for something. And we don't know what that thing is that this person is hoping for, but we do know that it's happening. There is a hope inside of them, and God made us this way. He gives us a hope. Hope seems to motivate us. It seems to push us. It seems to drive us. When we have a hope in our life, it causes us to be our best. If you were entering a race, <laughs> some of us, Entering a 5K, let's say. You might have different hopes depending on who you are. Some of us might hope to beat a personal record that we had. I'm too out of shape. My personal record, you know, I, I wouldn't get anywhere close to it right now. Hope might push you to say, this year I'm going to win in my age category. Some of us might say, I just hope to finish this thing and come out alive on the other end. But we all would hope for something. Hope moves us forward and it keeps us going. And what I see in life is that there are two different things that we place, seem to place our hopes into. The first one is this. We seem to place our hopes for something. Many of us here, as we look around the room, as we see one another, or as we question, what is my own heart hoping for? You might find that your hope is placed in something. This hope for something is what wakes the child up at 4 a.m. on Christmas Day. It's what had some of you standing in line at 3 in the morning the other Friday. Anybody do that? You all are a wise group. I didn't either. I didn't either. Waiting for that perfect Christmas gift that you could just get on Black Friday. If you hope for something, it might be these kinds of things as adults. You might be hoping that you meet the right person. You might be hoping that he proposes or that she says yes. You might be hoping that you get that job. You might be hoping that your children do well in life. You might be hoping that your savings and your 401k is going to see you through retirement. We all hope. And some hopes that we hope for are life or death hopes. They are hopes intended to lift us out of disappointment and discouragement, we might say, we hope it's not cancer. I've heard that before. We might be hoping in things that, that are very serious, hoping for something. We have to ask ourselves the question, where do we place ultimate hope? Where do we place ultimate hope? If we place ultimate hope in something, that's a problem. Because if we were seeking engagement, what happens if that doesn't work out? If we were seeking our job and having placing our hope that our job was going to see us through life, what happens when you get laid off? What happens when the economy takes a downturn? If we place our hopes in our children, what happens if our children grow and they don't live up to the dreams that we had for them? 
vice versa, sometimes terrible things happen. This week at Wesleyan headquarters, we've been praying for the Walsh family. They're at a church in uh, Hamburg, New York, one of our Wesleyan churches. On Thanksgiving Day, their five-year-old son was killed when their dad, when his dad was backing out of the driveway. That's a terrible thing. Like nobody hopes for that. There were dreams and hopes that this family had for this child. I'm pleased to tell you that in the midst of this, Jesus is being made known in the midst of this tragedy. This mother and father are talking about Jesus all over the place. And the newspapers and others in the Hamburgs in the Buffalo, New York area, the news has been all over this story. And as the church has come around them, uh, I actually had one of the pastors contact me this week and tell me that the reporters are just shocked. They said, we've never seen something like this. We're in the midst of covering such a terrible thing. People could be filled with some sense of peace and joy. And they're just saying, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. What happens when your health goes into decline, if that's where your hope is? I hate to tell you, but you all have a terminal condition. It's called being a human. <laughs> it's terminal. I hate to tell you. You were diagnosed with it at birth. You have a terminal condition. You're a human. It's going to go, your health is going to decline one day. Ultimate hopes placed in something leave us filled with discouragement because all things will give out. All things will fail. All things will fade away. Things can be very disappointing. It wasn't just me as a child who enjoyed video games. My brothers did too. And my brother Josh uh, hoped one year that he would get a Game Boy Color. And he got it. I didn't get the Super Nintendo. I don't know why, but he got the Game Boy Color. <laughs> and we were on, like, we'd take this monthly trip to uh, Billings, Montana to go shopping because like that was the closest Walmart. It was about two, two and a half hours away. So we'd all get in the car and go. And I had this great thing that I'd use for all my, uh, you know, little electronics in the car. It was this, uh, you could change voltages on it, thing you plug into the cigarette lighter and it would let you work without batteries. But it had this little switch that would go from like one volt up to 12 volts. All right. And Josh, you know, it's like two weeks after Christmas, he's been enjoying this Game Boy, and he would get in the car, and his batteries run out. Matthew, can I borrow that thing? And I said, yes, you can. Let me show you how it works. I don't need to know. I know how it works. Okay. He ramped it up to 12 volts and plugged it in. And guess what? It died, of course. <laughs> it fried it. He had it for two weeks. So ultimate hopes in this thing that he wanted, and then it just gave out and died. The hopes put in something do not last because everything passes away. So where do you go when you need to place this foundational thing that God has put into you? Where do you go to put your hope? We can't hope for something. We need to hope in someone. Of course the someone that we're talking about is God himself. Of course it is the God of hope. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, I'd love for you to read it with me. Read this. I pray that God, the source of, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confidence through the power of the Holy Spirit. God desires to fill your hope. He made you a hoper. He built hope into you knowing that He could fulfill your hoping. 
C.S. Lewis, not a pastor, but a wonderful believer and Christian and just great thinker. Many of you have probably picked up one of his books before, either as children, maybe Chronicles of Narnia, or as adults, maybe some of those types of works. In Mere Christianity, he writes that creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby desires food. There is such a thing as food? That makes sense. A duck desires to swim. There is such a thing as water. That makes sense. God builds your life with this hope. This hope. And guess what? There is something to place that hope in. It exists. It exists. God gives us hope and it is essential for our life. Humanity can do, endure a lot of different things. It is amazing what can be survived. You can endure the loss of finances, relationships, success, safety, suffering, tragedy, trauma, abuse, persecution. Humanity can endure so, so much. But we cannot endure the loss of hope. When you lose your hope, you give up. You're done. When you lose hope, it's over. In Proverbs chapter 13, Solomon, the, the great wise thinker, wrote, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. When hope is ultimately deferred or put away, the heart gets sick. When, when you have to wait on hope, the, the, the heart gets sick, but when it is fulfilled, there is a tree of life there. There's a great movie in 1995 called Apollo 13. <laughs> some of you know me. You know some of the things I'm into. And NASA and Saturn V rockets and all things space shuttles. Like I love all that stuff. It just absolutely fascinates me. And this movie fascinated me too. You're familiar with the story. These astronauts had to keep hope alive. They, they're headed out to go to the moon. They end up having... Trouble along the way. They have to make an emergency return, but you can't just stop and turn around and head back. They had to keep on going, slingshot around the moon, and make their way back home, all by patchworking together with tape, different parts of things to keep them alive in this little tiny pod that's out there in space. It's absolutely incredible. This is a real story. And so uh, Ron Howard, Opie, you know, made this movie, and it's a beautiful and wonderful movie. And at the end, of, towards the end, as they're making their way back, you know, things have been terrible, but they're they're making it, and it's looking like they're going to make it. But the last big challenge is to re-enter the atmosphere. The atmosphere is thick compared to the void of space, and so anything coming through the atmosphere is going to get hot as friction, you know, just begins to work on it. And if you've ever seen some of that stuff, you know that there's like they got these ceramic tiles that just heat up to dissipate the heat so that whatever capsule or shuttle or whatever's coming back in can survive this re-entry. Well, because of the trajectory of this capsule, they knew that there was going to be this extended re-entry time because things weren't as planned. Things didn't go as planned, so they had to land in a different spot and do things differently. Everything that comes in through the atmosphere had this period of time called a blackout. 
where because things would get so hot and there was so much plasma going on in the, as the course of all this, that radio communication would stop. And it was this time where everybody would hold their breath, waiting to see if they'd be able to reestablish communication at the end of the blackout period. Now they knew that this blackout period was going to be extended because of the different kind of reentry, but they didn't know for how long. And so rather than waiting the course of the typical three minutes and however long, they had to just keep waiting and waiting, hoping that they'd hear something. Can we watch it together today? Let's do it. Let's watch a little bit. Can you imagine the painful thing that it would have been? I, did anybody hear? Watch this happen? Okay. <laughs> Predates me. That's cool. <laughs> That painful thing for that family and those who were so invested in this to wait and hope. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. And as that radio communication breaks back through and everybody begins to celebrate, you see the glimpse of that tree of life. But there's these moments in life where we say all we can do is hope. All we can do is hope. We're all hoping for something. Some of us might be hoping that a family member who's far from the Lord would make their way back. Some of us are hoping that God's going to do something in this Christmas season to like, reignite a fire in our hearts. But hope requires waiting for God to do what God's going to do. Lewis Smeads is a Christian author. He passed away, I think, in 2002. But he wrote that waiting is our destiny as creatures who cannot by themselves bring about what they hope for. We can't bring about on our own what we hope for. We wait in the darkness for a flame we cannot light. We wait in fear for a happy ending we cannot write. We wait for a not yet that feels like a not ever. Waiting is the hard work of hope. Some of you have waited for a long time for something, hoping. And we have people who have been praying for years for something to happen in the life of somebody that they love or even in their own hearts. And every week or every day you've heard it mentioned or you pray it or you think about it. Keep up the work of hope. Keep up the hard work of hope. Some of you have had to wait and wait and hope and you're asking yourself, is all hope lost? Adam and Eve, after the sin, there was this prophecy that one would come that would crush the head of the serpent. And humanity had to wait and hope. Abraham was promised that the nations would be blessed through his family. And he didn't have a family. He was elderly. He had to wait and hope that he would have this son to carry this promise forward. Jeremiah writes that God has given us a hope and a future. Isaiah says that although it is dark and there seems to be no hope, God is going to send a Messiah. God will send the Messiah. That is the central message of the Old Testament, the Messiah, that God is going to fulfill that hope that we have been longing for. In Isaiah chapter 9, it's a very familiar passage that we read during Advent. It goes like this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a new light has dawned. The prophecy continues, For unto us a child is born, 
Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. What the author is saying to us is, get your hopes up. You know, a lot of times we're told in life, don't get your hopes up. What God is telling us is, get your hopes up. I'm going to do something for you. Get your hopes up. When your hope is in someone and not something, there is a lot to get your hopes up about. There were 700 years that they waited. Malachi, from Malachi to the New Testament, another 400 years, this silent age where people ask themselves, is God done? Has he stopped speaking? Has he gone silent? And then at the end of a 400-year silence from Malachi until your Gospels begin, you get this glimpse of the connective tissue from Isaiah to the Gospel of John. I love it. If you looked at this, Isaiah 9.1, people walking in darkness have seen a great light. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. A new light dawns on the horizon. When you have Christian hope, Christian hope is not rooted in something Christian hope is rooted in the promises of God. It is rooted in someone. The ultimate hope is a future-oriented thinking built upon the belief in Jesus Christ and the promises of God being fulfilled. So this means we have work to do. Waiting is the hard work of hope, but there is also the work of protecting your hope. Because your hope in your life, it has to be guarded. There's a lot in life that would love to come and extinguish that light of hope in your life. There's a lot that would like to come and tell you to give up hope. It can ever get be better than it is right now. Things can never, you know, turn around. God can't do this. We've got to guard that light of hope. It has to be nurtured. It has to be cultivated. We have to keep hope alive. There are two different kinds of people in the world. The kind of people who keep hope alive, who you just meet them and their lives are full of hope and they are counting on something that they cannot see but believe that God is going to do it. And they are full of all these different attributes of God and His Spirit. And you love being around those kinds of people. They have kept hope alive. And then there's the kind of people who are Eeyores. Well, I don't know about that. Well, I guess this... They just drain the life out of you. They drain the life out of you. Let's be the kind of people who are keeping hope alive. Nurtured hope, protecting hope, leads to guaranteed hope. How? Paul gives us the secret. Paul is suffering. He's persecuted. He could lose all hope. He's in jail for preaching about Jesus Christ. But he knows the secret of hope. And in Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, read it with me. Here's what he says. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, 
then I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regards to Christ's affliction for the sake of His body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the Word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. A great mystery. We nurture hope and we let Christ come live in us and come move in us and it brings us the hope that God is going to do what God can do. If we took an informal poll today, raise your hand if you desire heaven. Raise your hand if you desire eternity. Overwhelmingly positive. Alright, up. It's not overwhelmingly positive. You all aren't doing it. I assumed it would be. Raise your hand if you hope for eternity. It's overwhelmingly positive in this room. Overwhelming. I, I thank you. I had written that in my notes, assuming that you all would have your hands raised up and it would all be good. I should have. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Christ comes and dwells in the life of the one who believes in him and gives them hope. And it is found, not by throwing yourselves a pep rally, not by saying, come on, Matthew, we can do this. Come on, keep our hope alive until God completes this thing. No, it's not about that. The hope is found when Christ is in you. That's what gives you the hope for glory. In this season of Advent, God has given us a gift of hope. It is a simple thing. It gets placed in you. It lives in you. It's given to you. What are some of the things that you need to do in this season to protect that hope? to rekindle that hope, to let that hope come live in you again, to say, I have a certainty that God can do and will do everything that He has promised. You can let that hope be expressed in you through perseverance, through continuing to take one more step and living one more day. Perseverance is another one of the hard works of hope. We have to wait, but we must persevere, continuing to move forward. I had a dear, dear friend who was a mentor in my life in my first pastorate in Morganton, North Carolina. His name was George Baker Garman, and he went by Bake. And Bake, we would meet once a week. I have a picture of him here. This is his youth worker there at the church. Her name is Beth, but this is Bake right here. And Bake, uh, we would meet together every week, and we would talk and pray together, and he would invest in my life, and I'd try to invest in his life, but you know, it's one of the things about mentorship. It's hard to mentor up, or you try, but it's mostly that mentoring down, so you want to surround yourself with people who can do that for you. And he'd mentor into my life, and um, he found out he had pancreatic cancer that had spread to his liver. It was a terminal diagnosis. And this would drive some people into despair, but Bake just kept moving on. Bake just kept living life to the fullest. Bake kept getting up in the pulpit and preaching about the love of God. Bake had perseverance because of Christ. Because his hope wasn't in something. His hope was in someone. And he, I would <laughs> remember asking him, Bake, why, like, why, he bought a house. <laughs> Bake, why'd you buy a house? Because God's good and God's going to provide. And 
what I would have done if I didn't know I had uh, pancreatic cancer. So going to go on. Bake's passed away now. But he was a model to that for me in this perseverance. And I love that his hope has been fulfilled in God and in the promises that God had in his life. And if you continue to live your life guarding hope, nurturing hope, waiting with hope, there's this beautiful thing that happens. You become an encouragement to the people around you. You become an encouragement. Hope manifested in your life gives courage. That's the root word of encouragement. It gives the courage to hope to other people. If you hang around with a bunch of Eeyores, you're not going to be given the courage to hope in something else. If you place your life around believers whose hope is in Christ, that can give you courage to say, I too will stake my claim of hope in this someone. Thank God for the gift of hope. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me? Lord, thank you for this season of Advent. And I pray that each of us here today would sort of step on the brake a little bit. We move fast in life. We're the fastest people that have ever lived. We drive fast. Our microwaves cook us food fast. We have phones that get us information fast. We just live in this so fast-paced life. And in this season, we need to pump the brake a little bit and slow it down and let you move in our lives with these four gifts that you give to us in this season of Advent through Christ. God, I pray that you would reignite the candle of hope in our lives. God, there may be some people here today who have lost hope, who have let hope die, who haven't been able to protect it. God, I pray that today you'd reignite that hope and let them place their hope, their ultimate hope, in Christ, the hope of glory. And Lord, all creation, and we join with it, groans and yearns for that day when all the promises are fulfilled, when hope is ultimately fulfilled. Thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. And it is in Him, in His wonderful name, that we place our hopes. Amen.